painful things in our lives to strengthen us and to do something good. And this morning, I want to um, introduce to you a friend of mine named Brent Hoser, who's going to share about a season of of brokenness in his life and how God is using the community of of God to minister to him and what he wants to do in response to that. So please help me welcome Brent Hoser. Good morning. Um, I've been given the opportunity to share a few things with you this morning. Um, In this economic time, I've actually found myself in a career transition for the past couple months. And when I looked at this process when it all started, uh, I was sitting down in front of a computer screen, uh, looking at the Internet eight hours a day, and realizing there's got to be a different way and a better way in this. I felt like I was putting a square peg in a round hole. Um, and the more and more, all of a sudden, something had come up in my browsing, and it said, you know, job search focus group. It was a networking group. It, it, it was held out at uh, United Methodist Church in Hyde Park. And it was something that was a little bit different than what I thought I would get involved in. But for that reason, I decided that I was going to show up. I thought, well, maybe this is where I'm being led. Um, In doing so, uh, God's done some wonderful things in my life and shaping me. Um, Not only when the first day that I showed up, I was extremely late. Traffic was horrible. uh, And I was a half hour late, but I was right on time, um, right when I walked in. Uh, after my orientation, uh, I walked downstairs, and, and all of a sudden I saw a very good friend of mine, Larry McCullough, uh, which some of you folks might know Larry pretty well. Um, and, and thirdly, and kind of what spoke to me most is I got done with my orientation, my little elevator speech with the group, and, and I sat down, and there was a break, and this guy comes up to me and said, hey, look, you know, you're a quality manager, you know, you ever thought about, you know, Six Sigma black belt certifications? And I was like, yeah, it's right up my alley, but I just, right now, I, I can't afford something like that. And he, he looked at me, he said, well, well, my name's Esau. I'm like, oh, yeah, from, like, from the Bible? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh. And I looked around, and, you know, and I looked back at him, and he, and he said, you know, I've got the means, that there's, there's funding out there for you, and I can show you the direction for that funding so you can get that education that you need It'll make you more marketable out there in the in the industry today in today's marketplace. So he did that for me. And, you know, where I'm going with this is that all I did was show up and God moved. And and uh, I wish I would have spoke this better at the first service, but, um, you know, that that's really what happened. He, he came in and he, he, he moved in my life, and all I did was show up to where he led me. Um, and having said that, you know, and looking at all this, what's been talking about and working in brokenness, it's hit my heart, it's so close to my heart uh, because I'm reevaluating myself, I'm, I'm re-identifying myself of who I really am and who I am in God. And it, it's done some wonderful, wonderful things for me in my life to date. And, and moving forward, um, what the church has allowed us to do is kind of come together as a body and, and share these resources. Uh, so one, um, if anybody else here is going through something similar to this, if anybody else is really struggling where they're at right now, um, one, I would like to encourage looking into this job search focus group, and I'm ready to talk to anybody about it later on today that uh, that wants to talk to me more um, and and provide some assistance to tap into these resources that are just, it's amazing. It's, you know, helping with resume writing. It's uh, learning how to talk to people, network with people. There's, there's so many opportunities. There's funding through the state that will allow you to go back and get more education. And, and that stuff is just critical in today's marketplace moving forward and trying to find work. So if anybody's in that situation, please talk to me. I, I want to share about those resources. That this, this group meets at, um, I said, the United Methodist Church in Hyde Park, um, and they do it every Monday. And, and I can tell you guys more about that. And in addition to that, um, we're going to open up a life group that meets here Thursday nights at 7 p.m. And, and in doing that life group, we, we really just want people that are going through these times to, to know that there's support here, to know that, you know, as we're going through this, you know, what are you struggling with? How are you doing? And, and what we can do to help to plug you into some of those areas that you didn't really might, you might not even have known about. I didn't know about them. And I was amazed at, on the, the, the path that God's put me through and led me through this. So I'm really excited to share that with anybody. Um, you will probably find me sitting back by the sound booth back by Jimmy over here. 
after the service. If anybody wants to come and talk to me and kind of get connected to some of that, uh, I look forward to talking to you. Thank you. Just uh, really quickly, in the second service, we had just a little more flexibility, and I just wanted to um, pray for you because you're still in job transition, correct? Um, and then also, maybe there's people in the audience um, here today that are in this same boat or in a job transition or are, are fearful that they will find themselves in that, and um, I'd like to pray for you as well. And if you're comfortable, if you want people to pray for you, if you want to stand where you are and say, yeah, I'm in the same boat, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, I'm sure people would be glad to see that and pray for you as well. So. If, if that's you and, and you would like prayer at this time as the church family to pray for you in your job transition, feel free to stand up or raise your hand so those around you can pray with you um, as well. But why don't we go to the, uh, to the Lord um, who meets our needs and, and pray together as a church family. If you want to, yeah, you can gather around people in that need. Um, there's a couple in the back as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, that you have, as I said earlier, um, always been a God who can bring beauty out of ashes, who can bring joy in the morning, who is faithful to take the brokenness of our lives, um, the difficulties that we go through, and use it to refine us, to do something new that we might not have ever experienced had we kept on a path that we were on. Lord, um, we just know that your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And the plans that we have for ourselves are, are often not the, the plans that we see actually realized in our lives and and you have yet this greater plan your word not only tells us that your thoughts are higher and that they are different than ours but that they are indeed higher and better for us and so we submit to that as uncomfortable as that can be and as difficult as and trying as that can be we submit to the fact that you have plans and thoughts towards us that are are higher and greater than we can even see right now and i pray for those in this room those standing and maybe those who um are still sitting and and just wanting to cry out to you in this way for the job transitions that they find themselves in and for the real legitimate needs that they have, the financial needs, the emotional needs, and spiritual needs that they have at this time in their life. Lord, I pray that you would um, be very near to them and meet those needs and that this this family, this church family, would come around those in need and, and help be what you've designed us to be, uh, that you would help us all to, to rally together as a church family to help be the hands and feet for you so that we can provide for the needs of the family that no one would go without, that all the needs would be met, and that as a result and in that process that all of us would enter into these um, situations and into these families and that we would be united together in love and in common purpose. And I thank you for Brent and his courage to stand up today and share what's been going on in his life. And I pray that you would um, specifically provide and bless him and those who also had the courage to stand this morning, that you would provide for them jobs um, that they would have to be able to meet the needs of their families. But more than jobs, we pray that you would give them the careers that you want for them, the places that you would want them to have the greatest influence and to learn the most about you and to be able to affect the kingdom of God. And so we pray that you would lead them um, as only you can and into those things, not only into pr provision, but into fruitfulness in ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I said in the very beginning of the series is that this would be a great series to invite people in your, from your neighborhood, your work, or school. Invite great series to invite your people, your friends to church during this time. Um, and if you've missed the first two sermons from this series, I'd pick them up. Um, and if you know anyone who's going through a difficult time right now, get all three. Get the two weeks ago, last week, and this week. Get them and give them to people. I mean, just give these, give these sermon series away to people because um, I know my phone calls have increased since we started the series. Um, and I know if you're going through a lot of things, and obviously, certainly your friends and those around you are going through difficulties. So let's, number one, think about, think about someone right now who you can invite next week to be a part of this series. Um, and number two, why don't you get to go out and grab the, the last three sermons and give them to someone who may desperately need them. I mean, I don't know of anyone who, who can't take something out of this series and apply it to their lives. I, I really don't care if they've never been in church before in their entire lives or don't believe in God. It, you know, these are principles that can apply to someone's life and at least get them to start thinking about how God can interact in the midst of what they're going through. Well, we're still in our series. We're continuing uh, the, the power of brokenness, learning to succeed with scars. 
And one of the greatest hindrances, one of the greatest hindrances to fulfilling a, a, a life, living a fulfilling life in the present, are negative circumstances or negative situations or negative experiences of the past. The negative experiences of the past hinder our ability to fulfill the life that God has given to us now. We let our past problems control our future promise. God has given us promises. We went through a series on promises. God has given us all these promises, but we allow our past difficulties to hinder and to to affect our future promises. In the book of Genesis, we we read about a man named Joseph. Joseph is one of the best examples of how to use the difficulties of the past to shape a positive future. He's incredible. This is a man that you, and you get a chance today or this week in your devotions, go back and read through Genesis and read how Joseph interacted and worked through the difficulties that he faced throughout his life. It's inspiring. And I, I, I want to sh- share this story. And as I do, I want you to ask yourself some difficult questions, not the least of which is this. Am I allowing my past to affect my present and my future? Am I allowing my past, circumstance, situation, event, am I allowing my past to affect, to negatively affect my future? Now, I'm not just talking about traumatic events, because when you talk about things like this, your past, a lot of people get stuck on just one traumatic event in your past. Now, it could be that this morning for you, but that's not the only thing we're talking about here. It could be an environment that you found yourself growing up in. It could be in a series of events that that happened in your life in the past. It could be one event that happened in your life. It could be a word that someone said that, that it injured you and you've held on to, But we're talking about how does that affect, how does that affect your existence today? Anything in your past, that's what I'm talking about, anything in your past that keeps you from living out your present and your future. That's what I want you to be thinking about. How does it affect me? What does it do to my life? What is it doing to my life right now? Okay, so let's look at this this man Joseph and his life. We're going to start in, in chapter 37 in Joseph's life. Joseph, you know, he's a young guy. He's a, he's a dreamer, and, and he interprets dreams. And sometimes in, in his youthfulness, um, uh, he maybe have aggravated his brothers a little too much. And so his brothers get together. Uh, for, and there's no justification for this. Yeah, all our little brothers are aggravating, or sisters, or whatever else. But his brothers get together, and they decide, let's get rid of this dreamer. Here comes this dreamer, and they, they, they plot to kill him. Reuben uh, talks him out of it because Reuben doesn't want to kill his brother. So he says, let's not kill him. Let's not waste his blood. Let's, let's sell him into slavery. And so they basically throw him in a cistern. And then they see a, a, a band of men coming along and they sell Joseph into slavery. So Joseph is thrown into a cistern. He's sold into slavery. And his life starts out, or well, his life begins then to take on a lot of difficulty. Now, for most people, that would be the end. For most people, that would truly be the end. If they made it through the pain of betrayal, and a lot of you people here this morning have been betrayed. You've been through betrayal. You understand how painful that is. So if you've been through the pain of betrayal and you, and you went through the, the agony and the, and the scars of slavery being sold into slavery, uh, for a lot of people, that would pretty much have ruined their lives. The pain of betrayal and the abuse of slavery would have ruined their lives. Anger and bitterness would have creeped in and ruled their world. That one event, as difficult as it was, that one event would have dictated most people's destiny. It would have influenced their life in such a great way. If they were ever set free, if they were ever set free again, they would have every reason not to become a healthy person, not to fulfill their purpose. If they ever got out of the situation, they would find all kinds of reasons, like so many people do in our world today, for not being healthy and not fulfilling their purpose. That one event, I want you to think about that, that, that one event would become the center of their universe for most people. 
the cistern slavery event would become the center of their universe. And when people would talk to them about their lives, everything would be focused on that event. Their lives would revolve around that one event. That would be their universe. And so whatever it is for you, you can think about it right now. What is that event? What is, what is that series of events? What is that thing that happened to you or the environment in which you grew up? And that becomes your, the center of your universe. And everything else in your life revolves around the center of the universe. That experience. And it dictates the direction of your life. That, my friends, cannot happen. We cannot let that become our identity. And that's what is happening for a lot of people. It is becoming their identity. If they were asked to describe themselves, think about this. If if someone else, not Joseph, was asked to describe themselves, they would probably say something like, yeah, yeah, I'm the guy, you might might have heard of me. I'm the guy who was thrown into the cistern and then sold, sold into slavery. That's me. That's how they would describe themselves when asked to describe themselves or they get a conversation for any period of time that that would be pretty much the center of the universe. Yeah, I'm the guy who was thrown into the system by his brothers and then I was sold into slavery and it was a horrible experience. And that is basically the person's identity. We need to understand that that one event, listen, that one event is not who you are. That environment in which you grew up is not who you are. That series of events that happened to you in your life is not who you are. It is what happened to you. It is not who you are. And you need to make the differentiation there. You need to understand that event, that experience, whatever, is not who you are. It is what happened to you. And then after their experience for so many people, they would identify themselves. And you know so many people like this, they would identify themselves as a victim. Yeah, that was the, I got thrown into a cistern and I, I got sold into slavery. And they would basically take on that identity and they would see themselves as a victim, but not Joseph. Not Joseph. Joseph doesn't see himself as a victim here at all. Albert Einstein said, In the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. Once discovered, such opportunities are like valuable diamonds hidden in the sand. How about you this morning? Where do you find yourself? Do you, how, do you, how are you living your life? In which way are you living your life? Is that one event dictating the direction of your life? Is that one event your reference point? Is it your reference point? Now, some people don't have to raise your hand or anything, but you need to be honest with yourself this morning. Is, that, is what happened, the series or the event or the, or the circumstances or the environment, is that the reference point for the rest of your life? That's extremely important for all of us to understand because when it becomes the reference point, when it becomes your universe, it also becomes your identity, and that cannot, cannot happen. Have you been sold into slavery and remained in bondage? Just because you're sold into slavery doesn't mean you need to be in bondage. Just because you grew up in a certain environment doesn't mean you're bound to continue to live in that same environment. Joseph's reference point is God. You see, that's the important thing. It wasn't slavery. That was not his reference point. Joseph's reference point was God. Our reference point, your reference point, my reference point needs to be God. It needs to be Jesus Christ. That is our reference point. There is no event in my life that dictates the direction of my life except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what dictates the direction of my life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That event is what my life revolves around, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other event has the ability, has the power to direct my life in that way. And you need to feel the same way. You need to understand the same thing. That is not who you are. Who you are, you're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You're a saint. You are someone who Jesus Christ died for on the cross. You're someone that God has created for a specific purpose. That is who you are. You need to seek out who you are and not allow the things of the past to dictate the destiny, uh, the, your destiny or the things of your future or your present. Okay, so you have Joseph in chapter 37, thrown into the cistern, sold into slavery. You'd think that would be enough, but let's move on to chapter 39. In chapter 39, you know, he gets, he's a slave, he's in Potiphar's house, and then he is, he's accused basically of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife. 
Now, Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of everything in his house. And Joseph said, Potiphar's wife's basically, you can, you can kind of use whatever name comes into your mind for someone who would basically chase someone around constantly asking for them to sleep with them. That's pretty much what she was like, bothering him all the time. And he said to her, hey, listen, lady, um, your husband put me in charge of everything in the house. And he said, I can, you know, pretty much have everything in the house except for you. So, and she keeps on bothering me. He says, listen, get lost, you know, leave me alone. She finally pursues him more and more and more. He tries to run away. And then she goes and tells her husband, she lies and tells her husband that, that Joseph, this Hebrew, tried to make sport of me. And we can all figure out what that means. And so, so Potiphar then throws Joseph in jail. He has him put in prison. Now, I don't know about you, um, but that would really bother me. If being thrown into a cistern wasn't bad enough, if being sold into slavery wasn't bad enough, now you're throw, he's thrown into prison for something he didn't do, that basically would really bother you because, you know, there's something about being falsely accused that really gets your emotions going, really gets your, 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 your blood flowing. I, you know, anyone here who has little brothers or sisters, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You know, you're sitting and watching TV, minding your own business when you were little. I don't care how many years ago it was. And, and your mom comes in or dad comes in and, who broke the blah, blah, blah? And your sister or brother goes, he did it or she did it. And your parents believe the other person. That is something you would do. The last time it was you, so this time it's you. Man, I'm telling you, that ticks you off, doesn't it? When someone accuses you of something and then the other person believes you did it, that ticks you off. I had a teacher. I would, now, picture, I'm in, this was in sixth grade. I'm 46 years old. I still remember it, and I'm still bitter, okay? <laughs> I'll admit it, okay? There's a teacher, there's this, this guy, and someone was in, were in class, and someone must have thrown a spitball or something, and it landed next to him, and he turned around and he said, Greer, why are you throwing spitballs? I said, you know, I'm not throwing any spitballs. And he said, yeah, don't lie to me. You're throwing spitballs. And I try to argue. And he said, you're getting attention for throwing spitballs. I said, listen, I wasn't throwing any spitballs. I was minding my own business. I was, just, I was just soaking in all your words of wisdom. And I wasn't doing anything. And he said, well, he says, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. Just consider it punishment for something you did in the past you didn't get caught for. That didn't make me feel any better. You know, I want to look this dude up on the internet and get his name and email him. You know what I mean? I'm still bitter, and I have a church now, and I tell everybody about what you did. And I'll even get his name and put his name. I'll text him. I tell the story. I'll give his name and everything. I have a platform, pal. I'm going to get you back. You know what I mean? You don't, when someone accuses you of something, it bothers you. That you didn't do it really bothers you. So Joseph goes to the first experience, goes to the second experience. Oh, man, he's ticked off. Surely that would be enough to end his life. Surely that would be enough to give him every reason in the world to give up. Genesis chapter 39, 20 through 23, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, listen to this, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those uh, held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. Learning to succeed with stars. There's our man. Gave him success in everything he did. Joseph did not allow his circumstances to dictate his actions. He didn't allow his circumstances to dictate his actions. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever said this to you before, but I'll share it here this morning. Uh, uh, Joseph had an eternal perspective. How else, do you, how else do you explain how a man like Joseph could have gone through all of that without an eternal perspective? His focus was on God. His focus was on his Lord. And he knew God was with him. He had an eternal perspective. How could he get through all this misery? He saw things from an eternal perspective. He didn't turn on God. He didn't turn tail and run. He didn't shake his fist. He didn't curse God. He didn't roll up in a ball. He didn't give up. He had an eternal perspective, and he realized that wherever I am, God is with me, and I can still accomplish all that God has for me because no one can thwart the will of God. 
God. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13? He said this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Eternal perspective. That is what these men had. That is what we need to have. Joseph was not consumed. Joseph was not consumed by his circumstances. He was consumed by God. He was not consumed by his circumstances. He was consumed by God. That was his reference point. I'm not sure that, I'm just being honest, I'm not sure that if, that the, same, that the same thing happened in my life, I could have the same attitude as Joseph. But I'll tell you something. I mean, I hope I would. I hope I'd be able to do that. But, but you know what? Regardless, if you and I can sit back and say, boy, if all those things, string of things happened to me, I couldn't act that way. I, most of us, honestly, if we were honest, we'd be making a list, wouldn't you? My brothers, they're toast. Oh, boy. I'm a Potiphar's wife. She's going down. Potiphar, for believing her, is going down. This person's going down. That person's going down. I'd have a, I'd have a list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'd be praying against them. Lord God, please, get him, get him, get him, get him, get him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Something. Joseph's not doing that at all. Why? Eternal perspective. God, he's consumed with God. He's not consumed with his circumstances. We need to ask ourselves, why we don't respond to situations that we face in our lives the same way. We need to ask ourselves, why can't we do that? And, I, and the, part of the answer is that we live have this temporal perspective. What's happening right now is the only thing that really matters. We don't see it from a broader perspective. Sometimes in our lives, we allow our emotions to dictate our actions. We can't see things from God's perspective. We can't see things from other people's perspective. Forget God's perspective. We, 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 we look for reasons to give up instead of looking for reasons to move forward, to overcome. We haven't learned to grow. We haven't learned or grown through the, through the, the circumstances, the difficulties we've all, we faced already in our lives from past difficulties and situations we faced already. And we've become weaker in our lives so that it's more difficult for us to overcome future difficulties. If you, hear what I, if you hear what I'm saying. I mean, we all go through trials and tests and difficulties and, and, and problems and all these types of things, crisis. We all go through those. And many times what happens is we don't learn from those. We don't grow from those so that the next time it happens, we become weaker and it's more difficult for us to see things from God's perspective and overcome the next challenge that we face. That's what happens. Instead of getting stronger by these experiences, if you look at people in the Word of God, most of the time they become stronger and stronger and stronger. Do they struggle? Do they ask questions? Do they cry out to God? Sure they do, but they come, become stronger all along the way. That's why it's hard to knock a good man down or a good woman down in the Bible, because you can knock them down for a day. They're up the next, just depending on God and their circumstances. And sometimes we don't do that. We seek other avenues to ease our pain instead of depending and completely on God. I'm going, to, I'm going to use an example I've used before, and I, I want you to kind of think this through. Boy, I'll tell you, maybe some of you have had the, just, just picture you had the worst week. It was a horrible week for you. And Friday or whatever day it was, that was the worst day of all. And so now you come home, and I want you to finish this sentence. Boy, what a day. What a day. Don't say it out loud. What a day. I need blank. Man, what a week. And then what a day. I need, you walk through the door, whoa, I need blank. First thing that came to your mind. Was the first thing that came to your mind, oh, do I need God right now? I just need, I need a time of prayer. I need to spend time in prayer. I really do. You know, I really need to, to consider what God is trying to teach me through this difficult week. I need to find out what God could, what, you know, even if God didn't bring it into my life, I brought it into my own life or someone inflicted it upon me. But I got to see, I want to, I want to spend time with God so I can see how he can turn this, he can turn, you know, get beauty out of the ashes. God, what are you trying to teach me through this? I need blank. What's the first thing that comes to our mind? See, the problem is, the problem is we seek out other avenues to ease our pain and we don't depend completely on God. 
we anesthetize ourselves or we go and we do something else to make us feel better, whatever the case may be. But we're not really doing what Joseph would have done. We're not doing what Paul would have done. We're certainly not doing what Christ would have done. All of those men, all of those men would have gone back and, and invested their lives and, and spent time with God and asked God, God, teach me, God, show me, God, heal me, God, help me, God, carry me, whatever the case may be. We don't do that. Many, I'm not saying all of us, but many of us try to ease our pain in different ways. But here's the thing. God never left Joseph, and Joseph knew it. God never left him. In verse 21, it says that God was with him. The Lord was with him. It says it twice in those verses, that God was with him. Joseph believed God when everything was going wrong. Joseph believed God when all seemed lost. He realized some truths. He realized that truth and time walk hand in hand. He had faith that God would never leave him and never forsake him. He understood that all things do work together for good of those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. He knew those things to be true. He believed that that true peace and joy and contentment come uh, from uh, are found in obedience to God. He understood those truths and he hung on to those truths. And after all his hardship, after all the difficulty, God restores him to a place of leadership. You know what's amazing through this whole this whole story? Something that really jumps out at me, some simple thing that we can all we can all hang on to. If you stay close to God, you'll never truly get lost. If you stay close to Jesus Christ, you will never truly get lost. No one can thwart the will of God. Regardless of where you find yourself and what circumstances you find yourself, God will use your life. God will fulfill his purpose in your life regardless. And so if you're walking along the line, a good old line here, this is the, this is the path, and someone knocks you off the path by what they do to you, if you stay close to God, God is going to shuffle you back on the path. If you do something by yourself that causes you to fall off that path, but if you stay close to God, you ask God to forgive you, God is going to put you back on that path. Nothing can thwart the will of God. You cannot get that lost if you stay close to God. Regardless of your circumstances, God is not going to let you go to a place where you're lost and you can't fulfill what he's called you to do. Remember, now, now, now back, to our, back to our story. You remember how I said that God restored joseph to a place of leadership you remember the story how that went you know joseph's in prison and you have the you have the the the, the pharaoh's cupbearer and the uh and the, and the chief baker they're in prison as well some you know things went on in their lives and they got put in prison you know pharaoh just said snap his fingers and you're in trouble and they both have dreams so they're in prison with joseph they both have dreams there goes that dreamer remember the dreamer he interprets dreams so they're both in prison and and joseph interprets both of their dreams now for the baker, the chief baker didn't work out too well. You know what I mean? Didn't, no good. You know? Yeah. Imagine interpreting a dream. You're thinking, oh boy, it's going to be good. It's like, oh no, not very good at all. I hope he's wrong. I hope he's wrong. He wasn't wrong. And then he interprets the dream for the cupbearer. It all turns out good for the cupbearer. So then they have that part. He interprets their dreams. The baker, you know, the cupbearer, he gets out. He's with Pharaoh again. And then two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer, He'd be on my list, too, for leaving me there for two years. But the cupbearer, two years later, okay, says to Pharaoh, hey, I met this guy in prison two years ago, changed my life, and I just forgot about him. But I met him two years ago. He can interpret your dream. Pharaoh calls on Joseph, gets Joseph out of prison. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. The Pharaoh thinks that Joseph is so wise that he puts him in charge of Egypt. Do you notice no matter what they did, if Joseph were stuck and still in a cistern, he'd be in charge of the cistern. Am I wrong? He'd be telling the bugs and whatever else were in there what to do. The man, no matter what they did to him, was in charge. When he was in a cistern, he was in charge. When he was in prison, he was in charge. When he was in Potiphar's house, he was in charge. When he, went to, when he t- talked with Pharaoh, he got in charge of the entire country. So he's in charge now of Egypt. Through it all, Joseph did not allow, did not allow his past to dictate his present attitude or his future possibilities and opportunities. Regardless of what happened in the man's past, he did not allow his past to dictate his present attitude 
or his future opportunities and possibilities. And think about his opportunities. Think about his opportunities. He becomes second in command of Egypt. God uses him to save thousands of lives when there was a terrible famine. He is blessed with his own family. He, is, he forgives and his relationship is restored. He restores relationship with his brothers. He's reunited with his father and his immediate family is blessed by his faithfulness. Look at what happened. Look at the opportunities in the future because he was faithful to God in the present. He was faithful to God and did not allow his past dictate his present or his future. He took circumstances that for most people, seriously, he took circumstance that for most people on this planet would be a horror story and end in the worst way and turned it into one of the most inspiring stories of all time. Of all time. Why? Because he had an eternal perspective. He had an eternal perspective. Lest you think, I love that word, lest. Lest you think. Lest you think that there are no one, there is no one in our, in our world today or in the recent past that could be anything like Joseph. Let me tell you the story of one of my heroes, another one of my heroes, Annie Johnston Flint. Annie Johnston Flint lived most of her life in pain, in pain agony. She, she, she was orphaned. Okay, now I want to keep a list of things. Pain all her life, orphaned early in her life. She was embarrassed by incontinence. She, she was weakened by cancer. She was deformed by rheumatoid arthritis. arthritis and, and she had to have pillows propped up around her body, eight, nine pillows, seven, eight, nine pillows, to, to, to comfort her from all the sores, the raw sores that she had because she was bedridden. She was bedridden. So picture this person. I mean, how many people in this world if they were in that situation, I mean, time, you talk about circumstance after circumstance, situation after situation, if cancer wasn't enough, rheumatoid arthritis, and she and her, lost her parents, and she has all these things, she has incontinence, all this stuff going on in life, she's sore, she's in pain all the time. And through all of that, the words that she wrote while she was in that condition inspired millions of people. And the words that she wrote to this poem that she wrote to God in that circumstance was put to a hymn that was, has been sung by generations, most of, most of which did not know the person who wrote them or her situation. They just, they read these, they read these, they, they sang these words and they were inspired by these words by a person who spent most of her life in suffering. And we're going to hear those words a little later on, pretty soon here we have take communion together. We're going to hear those words this morning. And as you're taking communion, and I, t- I just told you that story, and as the girls sing this song, I want you to remember the person who wrote them. Listen to the words and understand the person who wrote them and you'll be inspired as well. Another person who inspires me is Helen Keller, and she wrote this, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. My friends, the measure of a person is not where they stand in times of comfort and ease. The measure of a man or a woman is, the measure of a man or woman is where they stand through times of challenge and crisis. That is the measure of a woman. That is the measure of a man. That is the measure of a teenager. That is the measure of a child. Where do they stand? Not when things are easy and comfortable. Where do they stand in times of challenge, in times of difficulty, in times of suffering, in times of crisis? That is the measure of a person. My, my, I want to ask you a question. What event, I'm going to say it again, what event in your past has, uh, have you allowed, have you personally allowed, you have to allow it in your life, allowed to dictate your present and your future? What is it for you? Think about it in your own mind. What is it that you have allowed to dictate your present and future? Whatever it is, whatever it is for you this morning, I want you to get rid of it. I want you to let it go. You need to let it go. As we take this time to have communion, I want you to lay it down and let it go. Try to remember this. Try to remember this. Two things. Use it. You say use it or lose it. I say use it and lose it. Just remember that. Use it and lose it. 
Use it to help strengthen your character, to help you overcome the difficulties of life, to help you become the person that God created you to be. Use it to your advantage. Take all the things that people threw on you and people affected you with and the environment that you grew up in and all the difficulties that you faced and whatever someone did. Take that and use it to your advantage and to glorify God and to further God's kingdom and to become the person that you were created to be. Use it. And then then lose it. Lose it. Let it go. Give it to God. Any of the negative things that come with those past experiences, let them go. Cut them loose. You know, I was talking to someone after the service, and they said, you know, I've been walking away from my past and walking away. I still got that string on my leg, though. It kind of pulls me back sometimes. And we talked a little more, and we realized, you know what happened to a string? If you just keep moving forward, sooner or later, what's going to happen to it? It's going to snap. It's going to break. It can't hold someone who relentlessly moves forward. Just keep moving forward and it'll snap and you can use it to your benefit. You can use it to help you become the person God created you to be. You can use it to glorify him and further his kingdom, but it can no longer use you. It can no longer dictate the direction of your life. You don't forget about it, but now God allows you completely to use it to strengthen you and become the person that he created you to be. As we take communion together, I I want you to spend time with God, and I want you, more than anything else, I want you to leave the past where it belongs in the past. Let it go. Lay it at the cross. Leave the past where it belongs in the past. You know, if you're new here to the church and we take communion, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to take communion with us. As long as you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, then you are welcome regardless if you're here visiting for the first time, out of town, whatever the case may be. If you accepted Christ last week or this morning as, we were, as we've been talking, then I want to welcome you and I want to encourage you to take communion with us. Now, if you're here for the first time, you're kind of visiting the church, you're not sure where you stand with Christ, and so you, you may be thinking, oh, I've never taken communion before, and, or someone's going through a difficult time right now. Maybe you're, maybe you're caught up in some things you shouldn't be caught up in, and you say, you know what, I don't really feel comfortable taking communion this morning. Here's the reality. The way we do it at Grace Chapel, no one's going to know whether you've taken it or not. So if you just want to sit and relax and pray, you do that. We get up at different times. We go back. No one knows who's getting up at what time or sitting down at whatever time. So no one knows the difference. The important thing is that if you're in a situation where you know Christ and, you, and, you, and, and your life is right with him right now, you take it. And if not, you don't, you don't have to take communion. There's no pressure. I don't want there to be any pressure. Now, for those of you maybe here for the first time who've never taken communion here, sometimes this can be a little uncomfortable in a church. I don't want it to be uncomfortable, so I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do and how this is going to work. This is how we do it at Grace Chapel. First, I'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll read those verses. After I'm finished reading, I will pray for both the bread and the cup. I'll pray for those two things. After I'm finished praying for the bread and for the cup, and as the Spirit leads you, you can get up from your seat. There's three tables back in the back. You go to the back. You take the bread and the cup. And you can come back to your seat. You can come up here in front and pray. You can kneel by your, your seat. You can kneel in the back or the corner. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you feel comfortable doing, just take the bread and the cup, go back to your seat, sit down, pray. You don't have to wait for anyone else to take the elements. You just take them, and when you're finished praying, and you spend that time with God. Okay? That's how we'll do it. So I'll read first. Then I will pray. After I'm finished praying, you can get up as the Spirit leads, get the bread, get the cup, come back, sit down in your seat, come over here, whatever you'd like to do. And then we're going to be singing. Uh, the girls are going to be singing. The women, I'm sorry, the, the women will be singing. I, I found out, too, people don't like to be called ladies either. How many people don't like to be called ladies? No one cares. All right. Uh, <laughs> when the women come up and sing this song, here's what I'd like you to do, please. Listen to the words of this song written by Annie Johnston Flint. Please, listen to these words and be inspired by a woman who is following after her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm going to read them from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 23. For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of, of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let's pray. Father God, as we spend this time together in communion, and Lord, as we think about the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us, and Father, as we think about those people who have inspired us in our lives because of the sacrifice that you did make for us, may we be lifted up and encouraged, Lord God. May we be inspired in our hearts. May you use the brokenness that we've been through to help us overcome the difficulties that we face each and every day, to help us become the person you've created us to be. Father, we thank you for your body, which was given for us, sacrificed for us, that we could be called the children of God. We thank you for your blood, which was shed for us, that we'd be covered, our sin would be covered, that we can come to you whenever we fall short and you will forgive us. Father, we ask that as we celebrate this time of your sacrifice for us, that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship, and may you receive it. God, we pray as we spend this time together that we would release, that we would let go of the things in our past that are holding us back from becoming the person that you have created us to be, that you have destined us to be, that you have purposed us to be. Father, may we leave them at the cross this morning. May we leave this place different people than when we came in, more conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, and with a greater desire to be like him. And Father, as we listen to the words of this song, and we take the bread and we take the cup, may you be pleased with our attitude and our actions as we follow you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.
Father, as we spend this time together as a body, gathering around this communion table, focused on your Son, Jesus Christ, the greatest example this world has ever seen. Lord, as we think about the the brokenness that each one of us face at different times in our lives, as we think about the scars that have been inflicted upon us, that sometimes we've inflicted upon ourselves, it's so good to know that we have a God who loves us, a God who forgives us, a God who strengthens us, a God who uses us regardless where we find ourselves. Father, we ask that as we, as we close out this time, that we would truly leave behind those things that are, are hindering our ability to serve you, to worship you, to become more like you. Pray, dear God, that we would leave it at the cross this morning, that in a symbol of hearts, we would lay down those things that so entangle us, would lay it at your feet, and you'd allow us to leave this place new and refreshed and restored. Father, give us your strength, give us your mercy, give us your power, give us your grace fulfill all that you have for us as individuals and as a church. And God, we will be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory because you deserve it all. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a beautiful week.